Hi and welcome to this podcast with me, Gita Joshi, and today I am talking to sculptor Patricia Volk. Welcome, Patricia. Hi, thank you very much for inviting me along to chat. <laughs> Did I say your name right? Is it Volk or Volk? Volk. You Volk. did it very well first time. Cool. Don't worry, everybody seems to have that trouble. So why don't we start with um, describing your work? How, how do you describe your work? Oh, it's a very difficult one, actually. Um, I don't like to pre-describe anything, really. I prefer the person or whoever is viewing it to have their opinion on it rather than mine. But I presume I, I, what I would say is that people would say they're very highly coloured, hopefully tactile, and occasionally people say they make, that make, it makes them smile. Oh, uh, which that's really is, nice. Is quite nice. Yeah. I don't intend to do any of those things. I don't intend not to, let's put it that way. So I'm quite happy at any response I sort of get to the work. And if it's a happy response, then I'm happy as well. I think that um, the flow of colours that you use is a really, yeah, happy, happiness-invoking sort of palette that you have, actually, and these lovely sort of sculptural forms, or abstract forms even, sort of very, uh, for me... You know, I always sort of think of uh, like Matisse and people like that when I see your work. But, you know, Matisse is like, say, paper cuts. What, who, which yeah. artists do you say inspire your work or which artists do you do? Actually, that's really interesting because um, I remember going to a talk by Melvin Bragg quite a long time ago. And he sort of said, if you know who you are influenced by, you only know that about two years after you finished the uh, finished the project. And another person, Anna Maria Pacheco, very well-known sculptor, went to talk by her and she said she didn't realise what her influences were until she had to actually do a talk. But I think one of the things I realised last year that I went to America, oh, it must have been over 20 years ago, and I saw different sorts of ceramics there than I'd ever seen in this country. I went to the Getty and I saw or sculptures that had been pulled out, ceramic sculptures that had been pulled out of onto the sea that were at least 2,000 years old, and they had used paint as well as a glaze as what you would expect in this country. So I was sort of that was when a penny dropped with me then. And also, about two years ago, I went to an exhibition at Heiser & Worth in London and saw the work of Ken Price. Suddenly... It all came together. When I was in America about 25 years ago, I went around various sort of like places looking at American ceramics. And there it was completely acceptable to use acrylics and colours and top of glazes. Whereas in the British tradition, it's very much pot, pot, pot orientated, um, which is not the way I really want to go at all with ceramics. I um, model freely and I change my mind constantly. So by modelling and working with acrylics and acrylics colours, uh, it allows me to keep changing, me, changing my mind. So I would say one of my main influences are the American ceramists of the 70s, which was Ken Price. Uh, there's also a fantastic uh, ceramist called, uh, you can't call them ceramists, uh, there's sculptors called Juno Kankeo. And I'm always constantly looking at work. So I'm influenced by everything that I see every day. If I go on the internet, I'm constantly scanning to see if there's a colour combination I like that I can steal, that I can reuse, and it'll start me on another lot. Um, so I'm, I'm like last week I was in Cornwall and I went to St. Ives and there's a fantastic exhibition of Patrick Hearn's work. I really recommend anyone just go to see there because the colours... I'd never actually sort of looked at them that closely, but 
the colours were just so fantastic. And there's one particular bit that I read that he uses a pit. There's large, large areas of colour, but they're not put on the roller, a big brush. He did it all with a small brush so that the colour doesn't look flat. There's a lot of movement in the colour because of the way the paint has been applied. So I can, I know that my next work uh, will bring that up again, although I have used exactly the same technique in the past. I was really overjoyed. I think, oh gosh, I'm not the only one that thought about it, like not. But anyway, it was a great opportunity for it to reassure me that the way I was laying on paint and what I will lay, how I will lay on paint in the future uh, will be um, influenced by someone such as Patrick Heron. I think uh, there's another American uh, sculptor who I saw at the ICA, I think last year or the year before, which was Betty Woodrill who again works on ceramics, but again, puts it maybe on a painter background and paints the floor, paints everything around it. So it's not just one little piece. It's like thinking of the, the overall effect of where it will be put. What does that mean? Like the plinth and everything gets painted? It's not even a plinth that she uses. She might just put a piece of paper on the floor, get a pile of paint and put it on the floor, make something in, in clay, put it on top, paint on top of that and use various sort of uh, glazes, anything that comes to hand because the end result is a thing that is important rather than sort of saying, well, again, people sort of said to, say to me when they see my work, they sort of say, oh, you're not using glazes. And I'll say, well, why should I? I can't understand that. And sort of say, oh, well, that's a bit funny. And I sort of think, well, it's not really. You know, as I say, it was very prominent in America in the 70s. It's just that in this country, they've got a set way of doing things. And using acrylics on top of ceramics is not one of them. But it's what I do. <laughs> but that's a great so thing. I don't know I think. No, I was going to say that it's a great thing about using things like acrylic paints on, um, on the ceramics because you've just got a much, much wider range of colours, surely. You know, I mean, I know there's a lot of ceramicists, well, the ones I know, actually quite a lot of them enjoy the unpredictability of the glaze and the chemistry of the mixing of the glazes and all of that. Okay. And that's its own thing. But in terms of colour or consistency and the sort of uh, richness and depth of colour that we see in your work, yeah, I can see totally why it'd be, um, acrylics would be the most appealing. Have you tried other paints like spray paint or anything else? Yes, so spray paint I find gets clogged up too easy. I spent a small fortune on spray paint. <laughs> so you, know, you get up, use it once, think, oh, I like that colour, put it aside, gets clogged up. I'm open to anything. I've even got oil paints down in the studio. Anything that comes along, I think, oh, that looks like a good effect. I'll give that a try and I'll, I'll, I'll go. I'm not, not restricted to any particular thing. So your work's kind of quite experimental for each piece that you're making then? Yes, I never sort of, um, when I'm deciding what piece I'm going to make, I normally work on a complete series, maybe three, maybe four, maybe five pieces at the same time, because I'm inclined to get a little bit hyperactive and a little bit sort of focused. But occasionally I might do a drawing, especially if it's a big piece, but a lot of the time I don't. I'll virtually sort of say, look, just get going. You sat around thinking here too long, just move, you know, move yourself and get going. And um, so everything, it evolves of its making. As I say, I do have an idea when you said before about um, how I like to work, I am in search of the perfect line. Whenever you look at a piece of work or any, any sort of sculpture and you're looking at almost the lines outside the work or the lines that go through the work or 
literally just there's some pieces I cut out at random I lay out big slabs of clay and literally get a knife and just go right along the top of top of the clay and cut out a piece then refine it and then maybe build that into a particular element a component is what what I am calling them now and I will make rather a few of these components if you look at my website I there's a blog there that actually covers how I do the work all the way through and there's one particular page that shows all these components laid out I'll lay them all out over the studio and then I'll start and place them together and drill holes and stick them together and build that's what some pieces other pieces will have a big form that will be very sculptural in the middle but I'll still I'll still try and just try different sort of things and see how different things marry together one of the things I like about your work is actually on some of the pieces I've seen um, there's quite a lot of space between the different components and the elements as well Again, I, I remember when I started to look at ceramics at the very beginning or when I was at college, and you always get a feeling of, a, of weight at the bottom, mainly because whenever you're modelling, like I used, when I started to do work in ceramics, I used to do these big heads, and people would sort of say, well, where do you start? And with clay, you have to work, unless you use a, an armature, you have to work at the bottom, unless there's a little god up there that will hold it in front of you while you work dying. But... I didn't like the weight that you see with ceramics, that they're grinded. I wanted to lift things up uh, and still want to lift up so that it gives the appearance of lightness. So I like that they are going through the piece and no weight at the bottom. There, there is weight normally because of just pure construction. I need to add a little bit of weight to hold the balance of everything up. So how, how big are your largest pieces? Can some of the pieces go up to about one meter forty, one meter sixty? Again, those are done, and there might be a big. Again, if you look at uh, my website and you look at the larger pieces, uh, there's large pieces there that shows all the measurements on them. It's very difficult, actually, for the people inclined to think they are small. I I like to think that I was almost like my cats. I'd love the idea of someone coming along and say, "Hey, Patricia, what about doing this twenty foot high?" And I think, oh, that sounds a good idea. I wouldn't mind doing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All for that. <laughs> so, as I say, I'm playing and I'd love the opportunity to do a very large piece. Um, yeah. But, of course, you couldn't do that in ceramics. That would have to be done in, in metal and bronze and someone out there would like to commission me I'm all for it <laughs> well we'll put that out there I was thinking a fiberglass or something as well potentially like yeah. lighter weight would would do that um <laughs> yeah you're right it would do it really well actually <laughs> so um do your works have a front and a back or are they like actually you, you would walk around them because like I know that typically um the pieces are more around the sort of 60 centimeter size you know you do quite a lot yeah. of sort of scale um they yeah do they have a front and back or they can be seen from any side or how do you uh, i suppose they do have a front and a back um but i invariably would like them to be seen by uh, from any side that you walk around them i'm quite particular about how they're shown actually i feel they should always be shown at eye height you shouldn't look down on them i remember someone telling me again years years ago you should show your work at the eye level that they are created at because when you're working on something you're getting the perfect eye level shot 
So if I'm working on a, a piece, I'll move it up and down at eye, eye level because you're working on that particular part of the piece. Um, so um, I would like, don't like the word plinth really, but ideally the pieces should be shown at, at eye height. And people should be able to walk around them. And I've noticed that an exhibition I have had them will space around, you see them better. Uh, there's a couple of pieces I've just finished actually, and they look quite good together. They do sing off each other, but invariably I think the pieces stand in their own right and, and that you should walk around them. And have you had any conflict with galleries or places that have shown your work where they've shown it too low or um, up against a wall and things like that? Because I, I know, you know, we've talked about this before, like you, you know how best to show your work. And usually I find that the artist does know, you know, whether it's uh, with a print or a photograph, they know usually how best they want to present it to the world, whether it's in a frame or something. So how's that been for you? I've had a few bits of bad luck, but it's invariably people that don't really know about sculpture. I think if you exhibit with a gallery, and I could, I, it's, I could mention one particular gallery who hung uh, the Discerning Eye exhibition, uh, which was quite a few years ago, and she hung it really sensitively. She knew what height to do it at. There's no flood of gallery people think, we'll put the sculpture onto the paintings, it'll, it'll get in the way of the paintings. And actually, even painters say that occasionally. And I think it's quite remarkable that this gallery did, that, who sensitively hung my work and placed it. That was the year I won uh, the regional prize at the Discerning Eye. Uh, so I think it was down to someone knowing how to, how to show the work. Mm -hmm. um, and there's been other times at a show I saw someone had put it on the floor. And I, I, I don't even know what was going on in their brain because unless you've got a really, really big space and you walk in and you can see the whole area in front of you, then maybe you can put a piece of work on the floor. Actually, in the ICA, they did have Betty Woodrow's work on the floor. But you've got space there. If you've got a small stand, especially in some of the um, art fairs, and you put a piece of sculpture down at ground level on a small plinth, nobody can see them. And I've heard galleries sort of say, oh, well, I don't sell much sculpture, they don't sell very well. And I think that's because you haven't put it in the right place. Um, if you'd put it up a bit so that people would know what they're looking at, then people would appreciate what they're looking at. But there's other galleries that I've uh, um, shown work with, and they've done a superb job. They've done a very good job. But it's invariably people that know sculpture and like it. So how much time do you spend in the studio making versus, I don't know, the other aspects of what you do, like um, even promoting your work or finding, um, you know, exhibitions to participate in and things like that? Uh, I've got quite a high work ethic. Uh, it's rather simplistic, actually. I went back to art college as a mature student and had worked in advertising before that. Um, so in a purely sort of like logical way, I sort of thought you finish college and I was very lucky before I finished college, I'd actually got a studio locally. I think it was about six months before I finished my degree. And I go into, I think that I go to work. I get up, I drive down to my workshop and I, I put in the hours each day as you would a job. Uh, I do promote myself down, I, through uh, social media. I think everybody finds that difficult. And I think most artists are, 
find it really difficult to promote themselves. Um, so I, I, I can only say I try my best at that. I do put in as much hours as I can. quite like social media, to be honest. quite like Twitter. I've made some quite nice mates on Twitter. Um, uh, tell you one thing, not Donald Trump, though. <laughs> he hasn't responded to anything. But um, I should put more work into promoting. But also, when you're a sculptor, to just to deliver work can take a long time. Um, moving it around, storing it. Um, I'd say I've got a good... I feel every so often I should go around the exhibitions. I don't think you can work, any artist can work in a vacuum. Um, so I'm pretty near Heiser and Worthier and uh, Messums and I love going up to the Tate. So I, I feel that is all part of what I do for a living. So let's talk about um, your life as a mature student because you took a, um, you know, an active decision to go to art school or you did foundation first and then follow through and go to art school. How was that yeah. for you? Oh, it was fantastic, really. It was like a whole new way of life. Uh, where I came from in Northern Ireland, the possibility of me going to art college was totally remote. I left uh, home pretty young and came over to London. Um, I was a one-parent family for, for a while, so that even the possibility of going to art college then was pretty remote. Uh, I worked in advertising. Uh, again, I was very lucky to get a job in, in media. Um, but then I started to meet people that had been to art college. My husband had been to art college. And I was literally sitting down one night, and I had been drawn for about 16 years, I think 16, 17 years, and I took out a pen and I thought, I had, it's peculiar because I hadn't even let on to some of my closest friends that actually my real dream was to go to art college. Um, and I thought, because when I was a child, I was completely obsessed with drawing. I was very dyslectic and it was one way that I could have self-esteem in myself. I wasn't very good academically, but people would say, say oh, go on, you can go and look at Patricia drawing. She can really draw. So I wasn't needy yet anymore. It was, um, yeah, it it made me good, feel good as a child. But as I say, coming over to London, the possibility of doing that was totally remote. My first uh, priority was getting enough money to live and enough money to bring up my child. Um, but when I say with my husband, uh, having gone to art college and virtually all the other people I made friends with, there, they sort of, I just thought, well, I'll just give it a go. I'll, I'll start to draw. And I started to draw that night. And I thought, I can still do it. It was really remarkable. It was a really awful little drawing, I think. In fact, I think it was a bowl of fruit I got sitting, or it might have even been the TV, which is probably what it was, because that's what I was watching. And I thought, oh, this isn't too bad. You know, maybe I could do it. And uh, I took a year out of adult education. I took a year out of work. I gave up my job. It was a, a difficult decision. Um, I, I even sort of went back to a job because I lost... Um, faith a little bit but I took a year and went to adult education classes I did sculpting uh, starting to draw and paint I think I did three adult education classes and I also learned to drive that year as well <laughs> which is good because I decided to go to Middlesex the only way to get there was by car um, and then as I was getting a portfolio to get the whole time I did these adult education classes, I never spoke to anybody in the class because I was too terrified. I thought I was being a little bit better than I should do, you know what I mean? Still feeling totally lacking in confidence. Um, but I was 
my husband was very encouraging and other people were very encouraging as well. And I went to a party and met someone who I said I'd never met before. And they said, what are you doing? I said, well, I've technically, yeah, I just try and get into art college. And uh, she went and found out my address, um, rang up Middlesex Polytechnic and got me sent a application form for Deploy Foundation. I thought, I thought, well, I've got it. <laughs> can't do it. I thought, I'll give it a go. It doesn't matter. I'll just go for experience. I went along for the interview. I have no A-levels. I've got no O-levels. I had a portfolio that I'd worked hard on, and I got into Middlesex to do a foundation course. And the day I got my letter through to say I'd been accepted was the happiest day of my life. I can still remember sitting there, look, you know when you open an envelope you think, it's just going to say, no, no way. I opened it and sort of said, we've got pleasure to tell you, you know, the normal thing to say. And then again, I, st I was older than anyone else at the, in the foundation course. They were all 20s and 21-year-olds. But actually, I got on really well with them. And uh, I then I thought, oh, still this lack of confidence. I, I do want to go on and do an arts degree. And one of the tutors sort of said to me while I was working with, with Clay, actually, because I thought, oh, I don't like Clay. And he said, I really don't know how you're so hard on yourself when you can make something so beautiful. And I was absolutely astounded. I thought, and it was like the penny dropped. And I thought, i just get on and do this and stop being so full of lack of confidence. And um, I started to make. And I've always found that as well, that it's always nice to encourage other people. Because there's so many, especially in the art world, there's so many people out there for to knock you down or, or be a little bit snide or, or say something or be competitive against the other. And I find just sort of saying something positive occasionally I don't say the positive things that people's work I don't like, I'm not that good, but to say positive things to other people, as in Twitter or in Instagram, not only makes me feel good, but it can maybe make a difference to the other person on the other side who's receiving that little bit of praise because it made such a big difference to my life. And I'll always be glad for that, that tutor for just giving me those kind words of saying something good and positive. That's such a lovely story because it really just, yeah, it does reiterate, you know, how, how much um, importance we put on other people's opinions as well. You know, I mean, I think deep down you knew you had the faith, you knew you had the ability, but it is that outside validation that you, you know, sometimes you just need from somebody you respect. It's wonderful. Exactly. And I think there's some really interesting and uh, supportive online communities as well around the art and design world as well. Actually, you know, quite a lot of um, yes. like Twitter groups and things like that, that, you know, encouraging people to, you know, whatever that is, continue, push through the creative block or, you know, get some feedback on work and all that sort of thing. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a very difficult occupation. It's no way it's easy. It, it, it's almost out for rejection. When you, you, you apply for galleries and they get, back, they get back to you and sort of say, well, no, we're sorry, it's not really, you're not really for us. That can be a killer. Or you enter a competition, so we're due to the amount of number of people that have, have applied. We're sorry, but and that can always. It never gets easy. There's no way that I've been at it for quite a long while. When I get rejection, I got rejection the other day from something I hadn't even applied for, which I thought, well, that beats it. <laughs> I think I'd entered my name thinking I would fill it in, but hadn't got quite round to filling in the whole thing. So I'd, that beats it. I got rejected as something I hadn't even applied for. 
So uh, beat that one. Wow. <laughs> you just have to get used to this rejection and, and realize that um, just have faith in yourself and keep on at it. And as I sort of say, some people sort of say, oh, I'm not doing this to sell. A little sell or a little sale every so often not only means that you can keep on doing the work, that it can pay for your studio, it can pay for your materials, but it also gives you a little bit of self-assurance that what you're doing isn't that bad, that someone's going to get enjoyment out of having it. So are you showing with galleries or do you have more of your own shows or do you sell directly from the studio these days? I've got a few galleries that deal with me. Uh, the Sheridan Russell Gallery, who takes me around most of the art for first, who's a, um, a pleasure to work with. Richard has been really, Richard uh, has always given me so much competence. Uh, the Garden Gallery, uh, which is um, in Hampshire, which uh, I've been exhibiting with them for several years. Uh, the Hannah Pichard Gallery, which has been exhibiting my work virtually from month after I left college. I was quite lucky after I left college, Again, it was down to more stupidity than knowledge. I sort of tripped along to a couple of galleries and said, hey, do you want to exhibit my work? Thinking back on it in retrospect. And literally, since I left college, I got a solo exhibition and my work did sell sort of well. But lately I've been finding, I've dealt with a couple of young men, young men, uh, who are designers. And they're little small galleries. Um, but I've really got a kick out of exhibiting. There's one... Um, Mark over at uh, in the Froome, a, a gallery over there, a small little gallery, and another one in Swindon, the Oik Gallery, Nick. And it's been a joy dealing with, with the designer. Uh, just the way they show my work, uh, the one in Froome put a beautiful background against the work, work. They're little small things, but it's just nice to see the work shown in a different environment rather than a big white space. Um, I had a big solo last year in Cheltenham, um, which was in the chapel, and it was a big exhibition. Um, and work with uh, these, I say, young designers uh, that are a joy to work with. And let's try something else, different. Is there any shows or anything that you're working towards now? Not one particular show at the moment. Um, I'm working to sort of reevaluate the work. So I, I'm leaving this sort of as a time for to rethink. I've done this before after I had, um, uh, as I said, when I started work, I did these very uh, figurative heads. And then I decided to leave the heads completely to move into uh, the sort of very abstract plane pieces with the emphasis on the pure line. And now I'm leaving this sort of like gap before I think about an exhibition uh, to, to rethink and uh, re-evaluate the work that I'm doing. Um, so I'm, I'm taking it slowly and see what, what will come in the future. I'd obviously like enormous big white space and if the tape cut ring me up next week I'll be absolutely overjoyed. <laughs> but I don't think so. But you never know. <laughs> So who but, do you uh, see your work um, ideally placed beside or who would be an ideal artist to have your work alongside or do you prefer solo shows? I, I like a, a solo show but again I think it's really quite interesting whoever is putting on the exhibition that they come in with a non-prejudiced eye and sort of look at my work and look at the work that they think. Like for instance when uh, the, the Oint Gallery, Nick in Swindon, um, it was very modern, the work that he put, put, put on, a little bit sort of edgy. 
um, which is not what I had thought. But look great together. They both both held it their their um, their own. Also, I've been exhibited with some abstract painters and uh, um, I, uh, a Russian painter in the uh, gallery I exhibited exhibit with in Arundel, and that was a really good combination because he had a very strong colour palette and my, my colour palette looked great up against his. So I think that when a gallerist comes, they've already got a vocabulary of their artists that they particularly like. And when they've decided to pick my work, they've already got a scenario in, in, in their mind. And I think, I think that's just quite nice to, to, to look at things fresh. I, 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 I never stuck with one particular way of how I actually want my work to be shown with or as long as it's not on the floor. But, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm open to um, any sort of um, different sort of look on it. So no, there isn't any. Obviously I'd like to be next to Patrick Hearn, but don't think <laughs> that's not much possibility either, but you never know. <laughs> but those sort of places do sometimes have, um, you know, exhibitions by, lesser known artists for want of a better word you know like I think um yeah. Yard does as well and you know yeah. those sort of same artists that showed with at St oh you know that worked at St Ives show at um you know have their work in uh Jim Eads collection right up at uh, Cambridge and things like that so it's always yeah something to keep an eye out for I guess oh yes Jim Eads collection yes I'd love to sort of uh, go along and see that actually it's just a little bit too far for me to travel but yeah, that would that would be fantastic to see work in there. Actually, do you do much work to commission, or is it just you know you're always doing what you want and then selling that? I'm, I invariably do what I want. I have no um, objections to commissions. It would be great if I did have one. Say, for instance, what I was saying earlier, it would be wonderful to have a commission to a really large piece, because if you're working just financially for to do a large piece, is is, is very difficult. Um, no, I haven't had um, that many commissions. Uh, invariably, people come in and see the piece that, that they want. Every single piece I do is unique. I never do two pieces the same. Um, so it would be quite... If there was an interesting project came through and it was someone uh, that knew my work and realised that the way that I did work, uh, I think that would be a really exciting thing to do. But no, I say the last commission I did was very long time ago when I worked on heads, but none with the new work that I'm doing now at the moment. But okay. I'm always open. Well, it's something to keep an eye out for, isn't it? You know, when I'm looking yes. through these, uh, you know, proposals and things. So we'll see. Yes, I think that might be really fun, actually. So where can people find you online? Uh, org. And also on Instagram at Patricia Volk. I'll find the links and I'll put them all in the show notes. Yeah. Thanks, Patricia, so much for talking to me today. It's been lovely chatting with you. Yes, I look forward to hearing your podcast. Sounds like fun. Thank you.